All of a sudden what happened is this uh, phenomenon crosses the uh, United States. Um, I was in college back then, but I can just remember the impact that it had. And, and uh, many of you will remember John Travolta in that movie. But all of a sudden it seemed like overnight uh, you had guys wearing yoked shirts. And you had, there he is, John Travolta on the mechanical bullet gillies. Many of you remember that. And uh, yoked shirts, starch jeans, huge belt buckles, boots that they'd never worn in their life. Many of these had never seen a cow, much less. Wearing a hat. I mean, it was the, this phenomenon just swept through. Uh, and many of you will remember that we're around in the 1980s, just the impact that that had on it. I always wondered... Because I, uh, I was not, I mean, obviously I was, didn't grow up in a rural area or in the cowboy culture so much. Uh, loved the movies, but, but, uh, that would, that would not be me. And, uh, then you got these, uh, these poser cowboys over here, drugstore cowboys. I always wonder what the original guys thought about that. The guys who, the, the belt buckle they had, they earned by bulldogging or roping or, or riding or whatever they had done. They, they knew what it was like to, to, uh, uh, wrestle, not wrestle, but, but to wrestle with, uh, with, with, uh, bulldogging and, and, and all those kind of things. To see the cowboys and the riding and the hard work they had to put in and all this kind of stuff. To see these drugstore posers all of a sudden cross the United States and what was going on. The difference was, is that we know that there were posers and there was the real deal. And you knew the difference. It didn't take much to know that was a difference in those two. Um, another thought, let me give you another word picture as we step into this. If I were to uh, have a baseball up here and uh, I were to say, okay, this baseball is the baseball that Mark McGuire hit to break Roger Maris's record, and it was his 60-second home run, uh, and I would say, would you like this baseball? You can buy it for a million bucks, whatever. I mean, you know, let's put some exorbitant price on it. you'd say how do i know that's the real deal well i told you it's the real deal so you ought to believe me right well no what they what's happened is in sports memorabilia and just like everything else if you get if you have a certain baseball or a painting or an autograph that are of of value they have the logo on them they have the uh the authenticity on there that lets you know that it's the real deal in other words so you don't have some scam going around posers going around telling you there are things and they're not these things because there is a there is a designation that these are the real deal. We're going to be looking at John's letter called 1 John. And we're going to be in this in several weeks. We'll break for VBS and Father's Day, but we're going to be looking through this letter that John wrote. And and uh here's part of the deal of of doing that. And I want to try to give you the background so that you'll understand, because when I when I read the scripture, I, I do not believe the Bible was created so that we could have history lessons. I don't mind knowing the facts of scripture. I don't. Uh, some of you would be great at trivial pursuit with the scriptures and that kind of stuff. I believe that this is the living, active Word of God, and I believe if that's what I believe, I don't want to just know what John was saying to them. I want to know what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And I, I believe that this is the focus of what it, what it is, is this is real deal versus the posers that, uh, that's, that are there. And I want to read to you, if I could, um, before I give you a background on the Scripture, I want to read you my thoughts going into this series, okay? And so I want you to hear this. 
It has been stated that the thing that keeps most people from becoming Christians is Christians. I would restate that to say that the thing that keeps most people from becoming Christians is people posing to be Christians. When someone experiences the real deal, the life that is following Jesus, they know that there is something genuine about that life and they desire whatever it is that they possess. It is not a life of perfection or a life free from problems. It is a life that has something beyond this world, something beyond the day-to-day circumstances that can wear us out. Not free from cancer or financial struggles or job layoffs or kids that rebel or storms, but a life that points beyond here. And I think that that's what John was trying to get across to these early listeners. Let me give you some background because it'll make sense as you know what he was writing, who he was writing to, and then what where we are today. And we're going to be in the first four verses, so it's not like we're going to be lengthy today in, in the letter. But I do got to give you background. This letter was written by... Okay, very good. This wasn't a trick question. I, I just wanted to see if you were listening. Uh, it was written by John. And John was that apostle of Jesus, probably a teenager. He had a brother named James. They were called Sons of Thunder, but there was something about John that was tender. You know, you got guys like Simon Peter who would be like hugging a cactus, but John was was just that something about his tenderness, but yet he was still a son of thunder that Jesus had an incredible closeness with this young man named John. And John we know was called the beloved. He, he walked with Jesus close. He was an apostle. We know that at the end of his days, he was gonna, he was gonna be exiled out to an island called Patmos. And, uh, but yet in the meantime, his ministry was gonna take place. Now, he eventually went to a place called Ephesus. Ephesus, we've heard of before. Ephesus was an incredible metropolitan city. It probably of that day, it registered around 300,000 people. It was, uh, it, it, uh, was around a, a, uh, uh, the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the uh, ancient world. And, uh, the people, it was a very pagan, sensual, uh, situation. Rome was very proud of Ephesus because wherever Rome went, they tried to set up these colonies and, and Ephesus was just a great one there. Eventually it was going to be taken over, but not during this time. This is when it was flourishing. We know that Paul went to Ephesus and they started a church there. Eventually there was a young pastor by the name of Timothy that was going to take over there. But John had a big, heavy influence on this people. These people of Ephesus were um, that he was writing to were not first century Christians or first generation Christians. Let me explain what I mean. A first generation Christian would have been like John. Saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, knew about Jesus. That was first generation Second generation would have come, the people like John shared the gospel with, they would respond. But then these people were probably, some may have been second generation, many of them were third, fourth generation. In other words, it got passed on and they hear the gospel and they respond to the gospel. Some of them came from Jewish backgrounds, some of them from pagan backgrounds, but here's this church in Ephesus that he is writing to. But here's what's going on. This is what you need to hear. None of them had seen Jesus. None of them had seen the miracles of Jesus. By this time, for some reason, and this was written about 90, 95 A.D., Jesus had been gone, resurrected, ascended about 60-plus years. They had not seen the miracles. They had 
uh, seen many of these Christ followers who, who were on fire for God start to die. And they thought, man, Christ should have returned, but he didn't. And they're starting to lose hope and they're starting to doubt. And, and what's happened is, is because of this confusion of these things, false teachers snuck in. These false teachers were what were known as Gnostics. Don't get caught up in that. That actually means knowledge. But what they were doing is this, is they snuck in because of what was going on, and they started teaching, well, I don't believe Jesus was fully divine. He may have had the Spirit of God, but listen, I just don't don't believe his body, the physical part of him, was divine. And so they started bringing this teaching into the church. So people are caught up in this and they think, if this is right, or what is right? What? And, and, and they're starting to get confused on what is reality. And so what, what happened was is that two, um, two things took place in the church because of this false teaching. One was this. If the body is not divine, the body of Jesus was not divine, and if our bodies then must be evil, then what we need to do is we need legalism. We need don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and that's what came into the church. That wasn't working, so another extreme came in. Well, if the body is evil, then just live however the body wants to go. Just do whatever the body wants to do. So now you've got a license to sin. You either had legalism or you had license, and what happens is, is the church is in confusion because of this. I started comparing that to today a little bit. And I look, you and I are not first-generation Christians by any stretch of the imagination. Somebody shared the gospel, somebody shared the gospel, somebody shared the gospel, eventually got to the United States, we got to hear the gospel, we got to respond to the gospel. We're way down generationally. So we, we sometimes think, as we read the gospel, none of us have seen the miracles that, that Jesus performed, and so we would start questioning, we start thinking, God, is this the real deal? Is this really what you intended to be a Christ follower? And what's happened with that is because of confusion is that what has happened is is that many people uh, don't have a clue as to what it really means to be a Christian. We just kind of make it up in our head. So in other words, if we were to go do a man-on-the-street interview out here on Congress Avenue in downtown Austin and just stop people and say, what's, what's a Christian or who is a Christian, there's total confusion because of the false teaching that's come in and, the, and these things. And what has happened is, is that we find ourselves uh, confused even, even more as we look at this. So what, what has happened, well, here's what, here's what I think about too, even in our day. I think about, uh, I think about what, a, what a, there was a pastor, you know, he used to be at the door like Pam and I'll be at the door. And this little boy came back. You know, every Sunday, and he said, my dad says, you're a model of a preacher. You're a model of a preacher. And he thought, man, that's a pretty good compliment. You're a model of a preacher. And then he went and looked up the definition of model, and it says a small replica of the real thing. And I think sometimes we may be thinking as followers of Jesus Christ, oh, we're model Christians. We're model Christians. But maybe we're a small replica of what God really intended to be the real deal. But what's happened is, is we live in a day of post-Christian thinking, uh, we, we wonder what the past truly was like, what God meant for us to look like today. New age thinking has crept into the church. We got more books on how-tos instead of God's presence or God's holiness. We have bought into many of the cultural gods of our day, hedonism, materialism, secularism, and these just become the rule. And what has happened because of that 
is that we have two rules of thought that dominate congregations today. One is legalism. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then you have others that say, well, grace is just just go do whatever you want to do. Both extremes are wrong. And so I believe that this letter that John wrote is as appropriate for us at Central today as it could ever be. So, with that thought in mind, I want us to read the first four verses of 1 John, and let's see uh, what it says. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. I'm going to ask you to hold your Bibles open, mark, make markings that are going to help you to understand it. And I just want to give you four quick thoughts that John lays out right from the very beginning to this group of people who are in this state of confusion that he is wanting to address. The very first thing he says there in verse 1, it says, this is what's from the beginning. And we think, is he talking about Genesis 1-1 when God created the world? which we know, uh, according to Scripture, that Jesus coexisted. He, he's been there from the beginning. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But I believe, most, like most scholars, that he's talking about the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel, right from the very beginning, of the Christian faith is based on Jesus. It's based on Jesus. And so I want to give you four things that John lays out about Jesus. So here we go. Number one is this. Jesus is a true fact. Jesus is a true fact, and, and if he, he lays it out here in four uh, terms that I think are really interesting that I want to share with you. First of all, he says this, we have heard, we have heard, and, and this is what John is reliving with these people, because John walked with Jesus, and he was there at the Sermon on the Mount. He was there whenever Jesus taught, and it literally means this, his words are still ringing in my ear. And John is saying it made such an impact. You've got to know that his teachings are still ringing in my ear. And then he says this, that we have seen with our eyes, that we have witnessed. And, and literally, it's, the Greek is a little bit stronger than there. He's saying it's still in my mind's eye. You know how you can shut your eyes sometimes and still see something? That's what he's talking about. He says, because Jesus, I mean, John saw the miracles. He saw the feeding of the 5,000. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He saw the blind made, made sight. He saw the, the lame that they could walk around. He saw these things, and it was still in his mind's eye. And so he's saying, listen, his teachings are still ringing in my ear. The miracles are still in my mind's eye. I can see them like they just happened. And then he says another thing. He says, I have that have looked upon. Now, what's the difference of of those two thoughts seen with our eyes or have looked upon? The word looked upon really means this, that we have contemplated and gazed upon him in investigation. And so what he is saying is this. Listen, I, I heard him. I saw him, but I have gazed upon him and I know that he is real. And then he throws out one more thing, which is really interesting. He says, our hands have touched. Now, all of us love to 
CSI and NCIS and all the police investigative, the forensic stuff, that's kind of what this term is. Our hands have touched. We not only saw, we not only heard, we not only contemplated everything about him, but we have investigated. And he says, I can tell you this, I've concluded this. He is the word of life. It's him. He is a fact. He's not some myth. You see, this is, this is where we really have to be careful today with our children and in our culture because we put Jesus up there with somebody else. I sometimes, when somebody asks me about the Austin area, uh, sometimes I say, well, I said, you talk to people, you've been, we've been here long enough to say you can put Willie Nelson, Daryl Royal, and Jesus Christ about on the same level because of, you know, just the mindset of, of, of the whole Austin area so often. And we gotta be careful about treating Jesus, though, as though he were, he were a myth or he was a legend. And that's where, that's where John is coming. Listen, he is real. His body was real. His, he's divine, but he was fully human. And that's what he's getting across to the people. And that's what, he's, that's what he's, the Holy Spirit is wanting to remind us of today. Because I think so often we think, oh, Jesus was historical. Jesus was so long ago. Do you really believe that? I believe he rose from the dead. I believe that he is still alive and he's at the right hand of God the Father. His very Holy Spirit is here with us now. And that's what we have to believe is Jesus is a fact. And that's what he wanted to get across. And when he says, we have concluded this, literally, it makes me think about, remember that, that game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You remember when they when they had those four squares and you were to choose one and say, I'll take C, no, A, that would be A, A, and is that your final answer? And that's what John is saying. Jesus is the final answer. And that's what he is concluding. So number one, Jesus is a fact. Number two is this. Jesus is true fullness of life. Notice what it says there in verse two. He says, we proclaim to you the eternal life. He is fullness of life. He is not just your existence that holds you together. He is eternal life. Now, here's the, here's the problem. How do we define eternal life? We are so in love with the afterlife that we always equate eternal life just with life beyond the grave. I believe that eternal life starts in your day of coming to faith in Christ Jesus. Because, listen, there are some people that are going through such a terrible life right now that if you tell them, oh, you're going to live forever, they're going to say, check me out. I don't want that. If I have to go on living like I'm living right now, I don't want it. And we've got to be careful about painting the wrong picture because I really believe if I were to define eternal life, let me kind of give you a thought. Eternal life is not just living forever. I do believe in afterlife. I believe we transition to the presence of the Lord. Don't get me wrong there. But I believe eternal life is the life lived out in its truest purpose. And what was that purpose? You remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were created and they they had things to do. But you know why they were created? It says that Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the cool of the day. In other words, they had a relationship with their creator. That's why they were created. And we were created to be restored unto right relationship with God. That's why Christ came. And he gave us eternal life, which is to be connected with our creator. It gives us, it gives us that purpose that is there. John 17, 3, in John's gospel, he wrote this. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God through Jesus Christ. But in our culture, we have a problem. 
1980, in that movie, Urban Cowboy, this is quiz time. You ready? Johnny Lee, there was a song Johnny Lee sang, what? Living, uh, looking for love in, okay, I knew if I got you started. Don't start singing. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Because we struggle with eternal life, finding completeness in our relationship with Christ, we look for love in all the wrong places. We still do it today. Where do we look? We look for relationships. If I could just have the right relationship, now my life has meaning. If I had the right talents, the right looks, the right living, the right education, the right career, if I had enough money, if I had enough family, if I had the right family, if I was good enough in my church, if I went to the right church, now my life's going to have meaning, only to find that we've climbed this ladder of success and it's leaning against the wrong wall. And we're looking for love in all the wrong places. And what John is saying is, is that eternal life is in Christ. He is true fullness of life. So he, Jesus is a fact. Jesus is true fullness of life. Third one, Jesus is true fellowship. Now, the word fellowship we don't understand because fellowship to us is cookies and punch or pizza, sitting around drinking a cup of coffee. That's great fellowship, but that's not the kind of fellowship that it's referring to here where he says, so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father. And so what is fellowship? The Greek word you've heard before is the Greek word koinonia. You've probably heard that term before. It's one of the Greek words that that we kind of like to throw around. But koinonia, and this is what it means. It means joint partnership with another person with something in common. So in other words, it doesn't mean you're all uniformity. It it means that it means that there is a, a, a jointness that comes together because of your commonality. Now Christian koinonia is our commonality is the Spirit of Christ that inhabits us as believers. Let me give you another example here and hopefully this will make sense. Paul made a comment in Corinthians. He said, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now, he's referring to maybe business or he's referring to marriage. In other words, you, 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 if you're going to marry, don't marry an unbeliever because what a light have in darkness. And what he is saying is that very thing is that true fellowship comes because your commonality. And this is what Pam and I have discovered in all, all the marriage stuff that we've done for, for many years is that so many people try to find their commonality and their looks and their personality and career choice and we're just so compatible and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, the, the deal is, is that what happens when, that, when what you think is so important, that commonality disappears? We don't always look great. I really looked good when I was young. And uh, what's happened is, is that commonality can go away. But if your commonality is in Christ alone, which is eternal, and He has changed your life, and He is your fullness of life, what happens is, is that in marriage or business or whatever you do, now you have that commonality and you can move together. That's why the best marriage advice you can ever get is this. You start growing closer to Christ, let your spouse start growing closer to Christ, and you automatically get closer to one another. People want to talk about, yeah, but we need to communicate better and we need to blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you probably do. But if you get closer to Christ, it's automatically you're going to get closer to one another. That's what he is sharing here is that we have jointness of fellowship. And this is because of who, who Christ is in us. But, but, but here's the hard part. You ready? 
John says, we have fellowship with the Father. Talk about God. We have fellowship with the Father. Now tell me how that works. Because He is holy. He is completely set apart. God is completely holy. I, on my best day, am completely unrighteous. How does my unrighteousness and God's holiness ever get into the same realm? Because of Jesus. It's not because of how good you're going to act or how how well we want to think. It doesn't matter. I love that you're here today, but you can come here every day of the week and still be as lost as a goose. Because His holiness, our unrighteousness, can only come together because of what Christ has done for us. And that is what John is getting across. We have fellowship because of what Jesus has done. He is the ultimate in fellowship. He is the one that allows us to do that. We become partners of this divine nature of God through Jesus Christ. We are truly brothers of another mother is the way it works because His nature... We are birthed... I like this. We are birthed from a womb of grace together. So... He is our fellowship. Last one is this. Jesus is joy to the full. Look at verse 4. It says, we write this to make our joy complete. Now, that's the NIV. You may read the King James. He says, we write this so that your joy may be complete. Now, what's happened here is in the Greek, it doesn't doesn't stipulate. So basically it says, we write this to make joy complete. So is it your joy? Is it my joy? Whose joy is complete here? I think it's this. I think Jesus is joy to the full. I think he is joy. Now, here's this problem in our culture. As I try to relate this to who we are, we don't have a clue. We've equated joy with giddiness and happiness and good feelings and all of these kind of things. And we think, okay, I'm joyful if all of these things are going on in my life, only to see that Enchiladas, bad enchiladas the night before can take away your your giddiness. Joy is something that comes from God alone. So let me try to give you a definition of joy. Joy is that complete assurance of satisfaction and completeness. It's wholeness. It's contentment. No matter what the situation is, as Paul said. And, And what John is getting across is that he found that as he experienced this complete satisfaction... In fellowship with Christ, his joy came when he shared that joy with others and they responded and now their joy is complete. That's what he is getting across here. So I'm not here to tell you that every day you're going to have giddy happiness. But I'm telling you, by God's presence in your life of what Jesus Christ has done, you can be content no matter what the circumstances are. And I know somebody's going to challenge me on that. You're not going to do it to my face, but you're challenging me in your heart right now. Mark, my health is not good. My kids have rebelled. My, uh, uh, my finances are, are screwed up. you telling me that God understands what I'm going through? Heck yeah. Have you read the Scriptures? You, you, you find it there. I mean, Adam and Eve, perfect environment, perfect Heavenly Father, rebelled. God sent His Son. What did we do? We killed Him. He understands. And He still loves you. He's there. So what I want you to understand is that Jesus is fullness of joy. Let me give you a, a scriptural example, and I'm, I'm kind of wrapping up. 
In Acts, don't you don't have to look look to it, just trust me. In Acts chapter eight, there is a story that takes place that uh the church is now getting scattered because of persecution. There was a man by the name of Philip, and Philip is preaching the gospel and people are responding. Their lives are being radically changed. And God says, I want you to go down to the desert. And so Philip doesn't question. He just goes down to the desert. And as he's down there, there's a guy in a chariot. He's known as the Ethiopian eunuch. Go through life with different tags. And uh, and so what happens was is the Lord says, go up alongside the chariot. So Philip goes up alongside the chariot. And the guy's reading because he's been into Jerusalem. He's been, he's, he's a seeker, obviously. He's reading the scroll, the scriptures in the book of Isaiah. And, and Philip's overhearing him. So Philip asked him this, what are you reading? You know, like you do, hey, what are you reading? And he says, well, I'm reading this, but I don't completely understand it. Talk about an open door. So Philip begins to, from that very moment, it says, he began to tell him about Jesus. And as he's telling him about Jesus, the heart of that Ethiopian is convicted he receives Christ as his Savior. He's transformed. He knows his forgiveness of his sins. And what he says to this is, hey, what's, pre- what's preventing me from getting baptized? And there's, there's water. So Philip says, okay, I mean, it's probably dirty, but let's go ahead. And they get down in there in the oasis, and Philip baptizes this Ethiopian. Now, this is what it says at the conclusion of that. I want you to see this. It says this. It says, and when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. Was he rejoicing in Philip? No. He was rejoicing in what God had done in his life. And I tell you what, if we can understand the joy that comes just from walking with Christ, there are certain days I know when I'm not experiencing contentment, it's not God's fault, it's me, because he's provided all I need. So, Jesus is fact. Jesus is life to the full. Jesus is truly our fellowship with the Father. And He is our joy. This is what John says right from the get-go to these people that are listening. It's in Jesus alone. And I, I ask myself, so what, Lord? What is our takeaway today? And this week, I... Uh, uh, you know, annually try to get an eye checkup like we're supposed to, and uh, went in to get my eye checked up, checked out, and of course it was one of those things. Good news is your prescription hasn't changed, Mr. Westfield. That's that's good. That's good. Bad news is you keep having birthdays, and you're going to have to get cheaters more and more. And I think, okay, yeah, okay, appreciate that, young man. And uh, but you know when you go to get your eyes checked, and they put that heavy thing on your face, and you're looking through there, and and then they say, read, the, read that lowest line, and you're thinking, man, is there a line down there? Good night. You know, it's got that thing over your face, and now you're thinking, he's just making fun of me. And uh, I'm looking, and then he says, and then he starts flipping around and says, is that better? Yeah, man, that's good. Is this better? Is this better? Man, that's good. You know, and all of a sudden it's coming clear, and you're looking through that. Man, that's good. And uh, But, you know, when I went in, I wasn't seeing that way. I uh, but he was correcting it to pull my vision back to adjustment, and then he was having it right where it needed to be. And, and as I think about something so silly in my physical eyes, not that my eyes are silly, but, but, but this, the, 
the, the, the humanness of getting my eyes checked. And I thought, you know, God, that's what you want to do with your people. That's what you want to do with Central. You want to pull us back to the reality that you want to adjust our spiritual vision, not to, not to make us see differently, but to correct our vision to come back and see what we needed to see in the first place. Because aren't you like me? That we get so distracted. I get so distracted by the world. And I read all the time and I'm reading the newspaper and I'm saying, wow, Lord, we're struggling in our day. And, and what he wants to do through his word is, Mark, we need to correct your vision. We need to pull it back. You need to see what Jesus has done. And life is in him. In just a moment, there's going to be people up here to pray with you. This is the most important thing that happens in here today. I really believe that. I, I, I because, listen, some of you have gone to church, you've played the church game, you've done everything you know how to do, but yet you're thinking, Mark, I've tried it, I've looked for love in the wrong places, I need to know Jesus. And this is eternal life, that you may know Him, and that's what He desires for you. But some of you, you're like me, you've been so distracted and today the Lord is trying to pull your focus back in to where it needs to be. And I've discovered, listen, I've discovered for me, but I don't think it's just for me. For me to get my focus back, it means that I have to be willing to face the many things that have become idols and distraction in my life and say, God, please forgive me. Help me to root those out. And maybe, maybe just maybe, you need to come and lay those on the altar today. Or there's going to be elders and pastors and prayer teams up here in just a moment. And maybe you just need to come and say, listen, I know what Mark said about struggles. And I just need to lay this out. Can you pray? Can you commit to pray with me? Yeah. Yeah. But I want to lay that out before we step into this. Because so many people just say, oh, it's the beginning of the end. You know, we, No, I want you to focus on what God has for you. So bow your heads with me.